Hello, this is Lady Sarah, and you are listening to The Basement Lounge. Hey guys, this is Mike Shea, and I want to talk to you about Anchor. Yes, Anchor is the brand new free way for you to get your podcast career off and running without any cost to you. Simply download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast to give you everything you need in one place for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds play magnifique without having to worry about all the costly setup. They'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all of that. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. They set you up with awesome sponsors. All you got to do is record a script, kind of like what I'm doing now, throw it onto your show and start making money. Once again, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get your podcast career off and running right now. Just do it already. Grab a drink, pull up a chair, and settle in, because you're in the Basement Lounge. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Basement Lounge. This is the cool, relaxed space where we have conversations with guests, be they comedians, actors, musicians, podcasters, uh, guys who have pretended to be rednecks on the internet, whatever you want to call it. And on this week's episode, we've got a gentleman that I had the pleasure of meeting back in January and uh, getting to know him a little bit now. We're going to get to know him really good here on the show. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome Ben Howard to the Basement Lounge. Hello. Hello. Let's get a a little, uh, there we go, get some applause going. Yes, that's Uh, what I'm used to. Yeah. That's that's the sound I'm used to when I enter a room. So Ben, uh, let's. You know, we met in January uh, doing doing a Sunday night at Wiley's Comedy Joint here in Dayton, Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. Had a nice little conversation there, and uh, and from there, uh, I knew at some point that on the show I wanted to get you on, and we were finally booking up some new episodes, some new guests, and you reached out, and I was like, well, shit, dude, beat me to it. All right, cool. Um, I was yeah, I was excited to, to to get on. Let's let's talk about you, man. Uh, so right right now, where where are you living at right now? Uh, right now, I live in a in a uh, small nothing town uh, called Greenville, Ohio. Oh yeah, yeah. I think there's a know, Greenville think, in every state, man. There is. There has to be. I think any when green is in the name of the town you live in, there's just you get the idea. Yeah. Basically, like, you you get it. I lived in South Carolina for a number of years, and there was a Greenville, South Carolina, and it was it was a nice little small yeah. city. But I went to college 45 minutes away from there called, in, a t- in a little town called Greenwood. And, Ooh. oh, yeah, tiny little Mormon town. Everything closed at 8 p.m. Yeah, it was g- yeah, good times. There's, yeah, there's Greenville, South Carolina is far superior to Greenville, Ohio. <laughs> uh, I know that for a fact. Um, my brother lives in South Carolina right now. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's, yeah, Greenville, Greensboro, Green Acres. All them, mm. all the greens, dude. They're gonna be great. <laughs> what uh, nice little family town? We worship God in this town of green. Are you originally from like the the oh, Miami Valley kind of Ohio area? I was born. The year was nineteen ninety three. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was born in Kettering. Oh no shit! Uh, yeah, I was born in Kettering. Uh, lived in Eaton. Okay, was technically the home was my hometown. Um. <laughs> the hometown i had a kettering birth uh and uh but the first uh few years of my life was lived in eaton and then parents uh split when i was four not like left <laughs> like, they split up they said uh, they both said fuck this he's on his own <laughs> yeah they yeah they they met me and within four years they were like no uh no but they divorced when i was four and so my dad and mom remarried very, very quickly. And so Greenville is actually where my dad and stepmom lived. Okay. And then my mom and stepdad um, lived in a even smaller town called Seven Mile. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we, when I was eight, we moved to Phoenix, my mom and stepdad and, and us. We moved, we moved out to Arizona. So I in two from two thousand and one up until two thousand eighteen I was you know I was an Arizona dude that's that's I came up on the comedy scene in oh. Arizona I went to high school and graduated through in Arizona I'm Arizona to me is is home but I guess technically Ohio 
Ohio is where I'm from. Well, yeah, I mean, but if you spend most of your life in 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 one place, you know, your formative years are spent in one place. So you kind of tend it to call that one home. home yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I'm I'm split because I mean, we moved. We I lived in in North Canton, Ohio, until the year I started high school. We moved down to South Carolina right like the summer I started high before I started high school. And then we, I lived there up until five years ago when I moved to Dayton. So I'm kind of, oh, okay. I'm, I'm split. Yeah, yeah. Um, but out in Arizona, so that's where you got into the comedy scene. So what, what was the, what was kind of the, uh, the catalyst in deciding to go into comedy? Um, I started out uh, writing, um, not even stand up. I mean, well, that's not true. I guess I, I, I wrote stand up without even really knowing how to do stand up <laughs> when I was probably like 17, like 16, 17. Uh, and, but that I was, I was acting. I, I wanted to, to act and then do little skits. And like, uh, I just remember the way stand up became a thing is I was working with the dude who is still my writing partner to this day. I was uh, 18 and I was living on a futon in two dudes apartment and I had written this pilot episode for a web series. Remember when those were a thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, written a pilot episode for a web series that I wanted to get made. I had shot a couple of skits that I had written already with these, this married couple that shot stuff and, um, and it was all comedy based stuff. And, uh, I was wanting to actually do a web series. They didn't want to commit to that. And I'd asked around um, who was kind of, you know, the ballers in town for, for filming and, and shit. And I was at a coffee shop called Coffee Rush, which would then basically become my home base for years that mm. the patio of Coffee Rush, they allowed outdoor smoking and everyone, it was the best coffee and just ever the fountains out there. It's a nice little slice of heaven. Um, and uh, the dude who had become my writing partner was actually sitting like three tables down. And they were like, actually, that guy and his brother uh, run a production company called a Paris. They've won some awards oh, for wow. their short films and shit. And so I went over and I annoyed the shit out of him for like three weeks <laughs> uh, until he finally was, you know, I did a bunch of voices and act and like impressions and accents and stuff for him. And he decided to, to make that. And then we started we started making stuff. We did a feature film in 2012 like a few months later because his buddies were making a feature and they asked him to get some actors for a certain group in the movie let's do that and then during that time met another actor who was just starting to do stand-up and my writing partner might be my best friend uh jared saba he uh he kept telling me he's like howard you gotta do stand-up man you got it and he knew i wanted to i loved stand-up i was i've been in love with stand-up since i was probably in sixth grade mm. um and then one of our other actor buddies, Aaron, he was hosting a show and he just called me and he was like, Hey, your name is on the list for this show to go up oh. in like a month. So get five minutes ready because you're going up. So <laughs> I was, I basically was kind of forced into <laughs> stand up, but I loved it. I, I loved it. And, kept going. and that was, that was what year that was at? Oh, Jesus. I was 19. So it had to be 2012. It had to be 2012. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. So you've been going ever since, man. Yeah, I've been off and on um, because then it's like I would be acting uh, or trying to pursue that at least. And then I graduated through an improv theater. So I let stand up go for a, a, a couple of years. I was dating a female comedian and that'll kill that real quick. Ah. Um, and uh, and so I, I was doing long form improv through uh, a theater in Phoenix and so I was focused on improv for a good number of years and, and writing. I've been trying to write a feature film and, and make a feature, you know, for, for years now. And, so, um, so you're a big movie guy. You're a big film guy. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, you know, it's movies, uh, movies in, in comedy. That's really that's all I want to do. What was the, what was, what was it that wanted to get you into, into writing in the first place? Was it just for me, it was, it was, I love telling stories. I love, I love good, compelling stories. So I don't know if the, what the, that's what it was for you or. It, it, I, you know, it, it's probably a number of things. I grew up with my dad. My dad was, is, you know, obsessed with movies mm -hmm. and uh big, big movie guy. And uh, he, he would sit me down from a young age. He made sure to show me jaws and which I think I'm wearing a jaws shirt right now. Nice. 
<laughs> he showed me Jaws and Back to the Future and uh, all these movies that you know he he knew were big staples in cinema and and would sit me down and and watch and I fell in love with movies from the time I was a kid and I just I, I loved them I started trying to actually write scripts when I was like 13 to 14 I would write stories just longhand in a notebook and stuff and I think it just it my life changed after the movie School of Rock really i can pinpoint it to that yeah it sounds ridiculous and it is but like that's just that's the way it is uh it, school of rock because uh that movie changed my life i because i was watching a bunch of kids my age mm -hmm. not only play music and be in a band and that's something that my dad and my brother did professionally and do professionally um and that was a, has been a big part of my life too. That's a separate thing. But um, so seeing them do that, kids my age, but also these kids were in a movie, and they were mm -hmm. my age, and they were acting, and I was I understood that. I understood that they were in a movie, and this was these were scenes, and these were actors, and and the first movie script I think I ever tried to write was I was like thirteen or fourteen. I tried to write a sequel to School of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing that, uh, and of course, like I put myself in it and all this stuff. Uh, but yeah, I remember doing that. That's so cool, man. School, school of rocks. And yeah, I kind of felt the same way. School of rocks. The reason I got into music, I think was just because it was like, it, Oh shit. He made it look so easy to same. Yeah. The first so band easy. I started, we had, I remember the first band I ever was like in when I was like a teenager, mm -hmm. we were like, you can't be in this band unless you've seen school of rock. Like we were that lame. Like, but it was such a big, <laughs> <laughs> it was such a big impactful movie to kids that, and it, fuck it's it's a richard linklater film yeah like, it's a it's a fantastic movie jack black has said it's the best project he's ever been a part of dude. oh i agree like yeah it's it was a huge staple film for him it's very well written by mike white the guy that plays the real ned Schneebly in that movie yeah. um and it's uh yeah it's a fantastic movie like, I, I think people like to like to kind of like write it off because it's a jack black movie but it's it is but it's a lot more than that when you yeah, watch it like it's not tenacious d Okay, it's, no. <laughs> it's it really. I mean, it's definitely not. There is because I mean, I remember a couple of years ago there was the video that surfaced online. He did a reunion with all the kids, and yeah. they were they all played the song as a band together because they actually learned how to play that stuff. Like it was them it playing; it was real. They had they had yeah they were they were all really playing their instruments in that movie. They casted them specifically for that, and uh, they had band rehearsal every day. I've watched the behind the scenes on that movie mm -hmm. so much. It's ridiculous. I spent, I've watched the com I've listened to the commentary <laughs> on that movie. <laughs> I dude, I spent so many years as a kid. I've seen that movie over 50 times. I know that, but it's yeah. So that was it's ridiculous to say as like a 27 year old dude now, but it was, it was, that movie was very impactful on me at like age, you know, 13, 12, 13. When I saw that. It was also for me because because of the at the time I was still really getting into music and kind of rediscovering some of the older ones. And because he was kind of educating them on bands like Motorhead and ACDC, that was also kind of a, a right. gateway for me to get into these more classic bands that I still listen to now to this day. And um, yeah, yeah I was, I was yeah, I was raised on a big part of that. My dad was a was a professional musician for a long time and plays guitar, bass, piano. He was a songwriter. He sings like and uh yeah, the the seventies and eighties music, um, it's what I grew up on, but not the not the that the heavy the heavier stuff, the ACDC, Motorhead, uh, more Zeppelin. If there was the camp of Zeppelin or Eagles, I grew up on the Eagles camp. Okay. So like I, Eagles, Journey, Steve Miller Band, Billy Joel, Creedence, Clearwater Revival, Stevie Ray Vaughan mm -hmm. was a huge was is a huge uh, someone I oh I have probably two Stevie Ray vinyls sitting over there. That's so cool uh the the beatles um in a huge way uh so yeah it's the more of the, the the lighter side more uh technical musician mm -hmm. uh style of music from specifically the the 70s so as far as, as far as like you say so you, you mentioned like working on feature films and things together uh so yeah. what is there uh like is there like a when it comes to filmmaking is there a particular style or genre or something you go for or is it just kind of whatever whatever you can, whatever you can latch onto at that moment. Well, as far as genre goes, it's essentially, I, I live very comfortably in comedy. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, you know, that's just what I, 
am drawn to the most, um, for the most, as far as the style of filmmaking, I think you, it's your job as a filmmaker to come up with your own. Um, and, but picking different pieces from what moves you, Mm -hmm. depending on what type of movie you're trying to make too. You're not going to shoot a grounded kind of, uh, like I'll say Judd Apatow changed the way I wrote. Oh, um, yeah. Like he did what, what they did with dialogue completely changed the way I wrote this realistic way of speaking. And because I mean, if, if you, if you watch movies um, of you know, some of the great filmmakers and these big, big A-list heavy hitter actors, listen to the, some of the lines that these actors are saying no one talks like that which is fine like listen to the way aaron sorkin writes right no one (laughs) no one says in real life these lines that are being said like for the most part it's very dramatic language it's like they're writing for Um, the theater and putting it on screen it's somewhat yeah well that is the case with like a few good men which was an aaron sorkin movie that was a play before it was a movie Mm -hmm. uh and so but you have like Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen, the way those dudes write movies um, changed the way I looked at writing dialogue. It's two dudes in a room talking how two dudes in a room would talk. Mm-hmm. It, it's not this big grandiose. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I wish I aspire to be able to write like Aaron Sorkin. Everyone who writes movies should. Right. But, you know, I don't know if should, but whatever. Um but uh, so I, I definitely take a more grounded approach in, in writing. Okay. I know that as far as a writing style, because I, I can't even claim to have a filmmaking style. I'm not the one behind a camera. I, I don't aspire to be a director. That's my writing partner. Uh, he's a fantastic, if not one of the most talented editors in the Southwest, in my, in my opinion. Uh, he's brilliant behind a camera. His brother, Brett Kalmbach, is one of the best up and coming cinematographers in that region as well. The dude has worked for big, massive accounts uh, like um, like Golf Digest. Oh wow! Fly him. yeah, they'll fly him down to South America to shoot, you know, to shoot these incredible documentaries and like rea- and shows uh, for their big golf resorts there that incorporate drone footage and really, really beautiful landscape shots. And uh, I've been a part of some of his short films. I've been privileged to be a part of some of his short films. Um, the guy's a fantastic cinematographer. And I've worked with him just even on stuff like music videos and like, and you see the artistry going into that. So I can and probably will never claim to be a filmmaker, but uh, uh, as a writing style, I, I definitely gear more towards the grounded realistic dialogue Mm. um, that genuinely occurs on a day-to-day basis between people. No, that, I think you're absolutely right. Judd Apatow's comedies are, are were my staple. I mean, into college, high school, and college, and even to now, um, oh, yeah. uh, to this day, I mean, I can quote Forty Year Old Virgin," "Knocked Up." Um, did he do "Role Models"? Was "Role Models" one of his? He wasn't. I I don't know if he directed, but he was a producer on it. Um, either way, that movie that movie you can tell had his had his hands on it at some point. Um, yeah, again, Pi- Pineapple stuff. Express was, uh, and that's more yeah. Seth Rogen than Judd Apatow. I yeah. think Apatow maybe produced it, but it, um, but it, yeah, it, it's from yeah from Forty Year Old Virgin to Knocked Up, <clears throat> Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. love I love you, man. Uh, and Pineapple Express, like the 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 dialogue in those movies are is next level it it, yeah. it it really is and it a lot of people think that it relies heavily on improvisation which maybe some of it does but there's a very i've i i'm I'm, i am trained in long form improv and it's like they're not just improvising you're not just going in and going go and make up stuff that's not yeah. really the way that works when people refer to oh they just improv that it's like maybe that line <laughs> and the right. response but you know I think people like to uh, like to embellish, and, and pe- by people I mean like fan, like viewers, not not people on stage. But they like to embellish yeah. how much things are improvised. Like, oh, they improv that scene. It's like, well, no, they probably did it a couple different ways and had some leeway to Definitely. flex the flex the the wording a little bit. But it wasn't like they just went in without a script. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, and there's definitely things called lineoramas, which is like mm. we have a setup here, fire off a few. Yeah. And a lot of the time, like guys like um uh Will Farrell's partner forever. Oh, um shit. The, started making more serious movies recently. Oh, I know who you're talking about too. Um because they did yeah, that a lot with Anchorman. Know. Anchorman had a lot of lineoramas in yeah, it. Yeah, the guy that directed um, Anchorman. Um they were yeah, he was a writer at Saturday Night Live for Adam McKay. Adam McKay. <laughs> Looking it up right here. Yeah. <laughs> Live on air, folks. We're Googling. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam McKay, he'll sit behind the mic with a, with a, or he'll sit behind the camera with a God mic. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, he'll, he'll fire lines at you to say. I think mo- some of the best lines that were improvised while they were filming are actually Adam McKay's lines mm-hmm. that he's telling the actors to do. Um, it's, uh, it's a really, it's, it's a, I, I'm in love with the process of filmmaking, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's television or, or, or film, I'm, I'm in love with the process and the game changing technology and just technique that, that goes into stuff. So I, I would be remiss if, if we did, if I didn't bring this up, uh, cause you did the first time I met you. Um, cause I didn't recognize you the first time I met you cause I'd actually seen you once before online. <laughs> Um, you made an appearance, and we've talked about it many times on this show, in something called the Movie Trivia Schmodown as mm-hmm. Dale the Dude. Dale the Dude. I just rewatched that match the other day because uh, I knew I knew this interview was coming up. Um, where the Where the hell did Dale the Dude come from? <laughs> where did that get concocted? Uh, did you see? Have you seen at all the documentary that was made with Dale? The what? Yeah, there's <laughs> there a whole. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like forty minutes. It's on Collider. It's on Collider. That's probably, why, that's probably why I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I will watch it as soon as we're done here. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's that's the most Dale Dale ever gets because that was exclusively me and and Jared, my writing partner. Okay, we put that whole thing together, um, and just I emailed it to Christian Harloff, and I was like, "Hey, we made this. I need you to say okay on it because it's your, it's about your thing." Right. So, like, um. <laughs> Dale was invented as a solution to a, a pro, not a problem, but a, a solution to a, a goal. Okay. Which was, uh, I was at Jared's one time we were working on something else and he was in his office editing and he was like, Howard, come in here and like, come in here and look at this dude. And it was, he, he's like, he was like, I've been watching some of this while I've been editing and it was the movie trivia showdown. Mm-hmm. And he was like, these guys like come out as characters and it's like all movie trivia. And he sat me down and he w- made me watch an episode. And it was the Finstock versus Makuga episode where it was actually Mark Andrego. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a long time ago. That yeah. was like season four. Like, yeah. That was like, that was a while ago. Jeez. Before that. Um, and I was like, I have to be on this show. Yeah. That was the goal was to be on this show. And basically Dale came about because I'd already been doing that voice in improv shows, mm. which basically just stemmed from this thing that my brother and stepbrother used to do, making fun of all the dudes that lived here in Greenville, <laughs> which were these like these like dudes from these small towns. Oh dude, let's let's go fucking camping, dude. Let's go quadding, dude. Like <laughs> and just focus Yeah. And like focusing in on the word dude. Like mm. <laughs> just these like guys that were just big meathead idiots. And, uh, and so I had kind of like done that, that voice in improv shows and I just called the voice Dale cause it was fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we noticed that the, aside from YouTube, the most, the Schmodown interaction happened on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, we decided to basically make these short little videos uh, of this character just talking about how much he loved the showdown. Okay. And that he was a super fan. We had to invent this super fan that was basically the guy that thinks wrestling is real. That's who Dale <laughs> is. Like, and the problem is I knew nothing about the showdown and I had to make this dude an expert. So it was a lot of very calculated, like, dropping names and references that I had no idea what it was. Um, but I would become to know because th- through doing that character, I got obsessed with the show. Mm-hmm. Like it's very easy to do if you're in love with movies and like, sh- you know, 
show, silly showmanship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, we got a hat for him. I was very particular about the hat. I knew I wanted it. I wanted it to be not like a trucker hat, like with two on the nose. I wanted it to be a hat that like your dad would wear. <laughs> Like the, the fish hat and, from the sand lot. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And uh, we went to a thrift shop and I found the hat and I was like, this is perfect, man. It's some weird state park no one's ever heard of. This is fantastic. And uh, yeah, we just started making, I, it was all hand, it wasn't even we, it was more, it was, I would just, and it was all improvised. All of those videos, because Dale has done probably over a hundred just little two minute videos on Twitter. I invented a, I made a fake Twitter for Dale. Uh, I improvised in that first video, just the name of his show, Schmodown Dude Talk. Uh, <laughs> and I just declared myself the host of Schmodown Dude Talk. <laughs> and overnight, this super fan of the Schmodown who now hosted his own after show appeared out of thin air online. And I also realized that the maximum time limit you could directly upload a, vi a video to Twitter was two minutes and 20 seconds. Mm. And that when you directly upload a video to Twitter, it automatically starts playing when you scroll mm. over it. You don't have to click a link and people are more psychologically, I think just more, they'll watch something that just starts playing as opposed to clicking a link that takes them elsewhere. Mm. And so I stayed off YouTube and just focused on Twitter and I would just, yeah, I just made these videos uh, to try it. We, uh, with the goal of we're going to get these dudes' attention and annoy these dudes to the point where I'm going to be on that show. And I think I, we made that first video about it was Nerds Watch versus Above the Line. Okay. I think was the first video ever. It was when Cushing and uh, Napsock were still a, a team. And uh, I made that video. I had an improv show that night, went out and did that, got home around like 11, created that Twitter, uploaded the, and I, I knew I wanted to pick a nickname too. And I could not believe that no one in a movie trivia show had taken the do. Like, That's <laughs> astounding to me. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was Dale the Dude Gibbs. And uh, yeah, man, just uploaded that first video. And less than five minutes later, I got a notification Christian Harloff retweeted your tweet. Oh, Christian sure. Harloff started, started following you. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is working so well already. <laughs> like, and I made another one the next day. And within uh, two days, Christian Harloff was quoting the tweet and whatever and saying like, this guy's become one of my favorites, yada, yada. And uh, it took maybe two months. And I got a direct message from Harloff that was like, hey, we're doing this thing called the Schmodown Spectacular. It's the second one we've that we're ever doing uh we'd like you to come out to burbank where we shoot to be a part of the spectacular mm -hmm. and i called jared and i was like you're not gonna fucking believe it just happened <laughs> i was like it works dude it fucking works and uh yeah we went out there they thought dale was real <laughs> when i when i got there because i hadn't told them he wasn't <laughs> like that is fantastic I, they thought he was a real dude so when I showed up without an accent and introduced myself as Ben, they were like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> He's not a real guy. You thought that dude was real? Oh, That's my scary. God. That's credit to your acting ability, I guess. <laughs> it's, yeah, who knows? But, yeah, Dale was a fun, uh, was a fun character. Uh, that, first, that first trip we took out there though, to California for that spectacular, Jared brought his camera. And was shooting all behind the scenes stuff with Dale. We would do little side things. I, I had a like Dale had a mic that, that connected to the camera, so he would be doing like on-site interviews in character. Uh, and we got home, uh, and Jared was like, "All right, we're gonna shoot interview footage with Dale, recapping the trip, and we're gonna turn it into a documentary." And we did. It's called Dale Does the Spectacular. And we shot it, edited it, and uh, yeah, Collider put it up on their main channel. That's so great. Dale, I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Dale <laughs> does the spectacular. That is fantastic. Oh, I found it. Oh, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I'm going to watch that later. Um, 
that's so that's so crazy. Just the just the idea of let's just fuck around on Twitter, see if we can get them to notice it, and 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 how you know two months sounds might sound like a long time to you. Two months, I mean that that's that's such a quick turnaround. Um, yeah, it may have been less. Even I honestly, it was it was too quick. It was like yeah. wow, this is getting, or it may have been longer. I don't know. I, my memory is horrible, but it was a very short amount of time. And they entered, they, they asked us to come out to the spectacular. And then it just went from there. I, I kept doing every match. Dale would have a, uh, would have his show come out the day of the match. Afterwards, I would just rant and rave. I would always make the, and I would be doing sometimes up to like 18 takes of these things. Like, uh, cause I, Dale was a fast talker. I only had two minutes and 20 seconds. The intro was always the same. What is going on, everybody? This is Dale, the dude Gibbs, coming at you with another edition of Schmodown Dude Talk. Like it was always like it was that, and then <laughs> boom, and it was like, and it was. I had to make all these tiny little jokes that were some movie references. I called William Bibiani's success uh, at at one point, like just little small things, like <clears throat> like like when Bibiani first hit the scene, dude. I mean, it was like the trailer for Suicide Squad, dude. Everyone was excited. Everyone's going crazy. It's going to be awesome, dude. And then Bibiani plays, and it's like the movie Suicide Squad. <laughs> and, like, and to a bunch of movie fans, that it was making these tiny little movie references, especially with characters that they've all kind of grown to love. And it, it is a very WWE mentality mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, and everything. And um, I had to learn about wrestling, too, because I didn't understand any of these terms. Um, like kayfabe or any of that uh but it was a really fun experience it was a really fun experience and i'm glad to have done it yeah and it, it let me allowed me to meet some really really great great people christian harloff and mark ellis uh are two of the best dudes and all the dudes that were running around it. ken knapsack is, is a very standoffish guy but very nice nice guy mm-hmm uh and draco is <laughs> always complaining about something but he's also <laughs> a very very nice guy i get to meet i get to meet knapsack in chicago last year and uh at, at first because the place they were doing because he was there for for ellis's special taping and and the venue yeah. the venue that we were at i mean even ellis has said like it was it was such a divey biker bar and it was really crowded and kind of aggressive camera. it looked great on camera um, but he was trying to find a bathroom, and he was in the upstairs rooftop bar, which was just full of the most just like burly biker motherfuckers you've ever seen. And he was just trying to push through and get a bathroom. And I, I tapped him on that he was pushing through, and um, and I was trying to get through myself, and I didn't realize I had seen him at first. And then I saw him, and I tapped on his shoulder, and I said, "Hey, Ken!" And he turned around. At first, I thought he, I guess he thought he was about to get into a fight, and I was just like, "Dude, I'm a big fan." And he kind of went. Oh, hey, all right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very nice to meet you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and he walked off because at that point, yeah, he was probably in a hurry. But, um, yeah, it's it. Hey, guys, it's Mike. I want to take a brief minute to just interrupt the show so I can tell you about all the awesome people that are helping support the show on Anchor and Patreon. Shout out to Mike Wells, who's helping support the show through Anchor. And shout out to all of our awesome patrons over on Patreon. Greg Gray, Joey Craig, Melissa Shea, my awesome mother, Jody McDermott, Soul HS, and Whitney Upchurch. Thank you guys so much for helping support the show. And if you want to get your name shouted out, just go to patreon.com slash basement lounge pod and join our $3 a month VIP tier. Get access to all kinds of awesome rewards, including have your name shouted out on the show. All right, guys. Thank you so much again. Now let's get back to the show. Have you thought about like, bringing back Dale the dude, keeping him going, uh, doing more, not necessarily in the schmo now, but just doing more stuff. Jared, it's like every time we talk, he, <laughs> he was like, you gotta, it's like, how are you? You gotta do some, you gotta do some like, what would Dale have to say about this, bro? I'm like, fucking nothing. Cause it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I can relax. Like you can bring him back on like TikTok or something or. <laughs> ah, God, I know. TikTok, I hope that all burns to the ground. Um, <laughs> I hate social media so much. Uh, <laughs> uh, even though it got me that level of small. It's bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, I hate that as a comedian, it seems like it's the norm of how to get noticed. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't fully believe that. Um, in the, 
in the way in, in the vein of having to post content every day mm-hmm. some video of some funny thing or some post about that I, I don't believe in having to do that and i refuse to i, I won't um yeah. it's not something i want to do it's not something i want to be a part of this this uh, social media it, it was social media was this giant experiment basically that was set up to to introduce the global community to one another is what yeah. it was. And the result of that experiment was we all met each other and almost immediately decided we did not get along. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I think it's time to bag the experiment. If I was president, I swear to God, I would be so unpopular because I would get rid of, of social media. You can keep Instagram, YouTube, and email. The end. Like I think all the other ones need to fucking go. I, it's they're 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 I don't enjoy yeah. them. They're, they're a very conservative they're, view. On social media. Well, no, I, I I'm I go both ways on it. On on one hand, it's like I can't tell you how many times I've been like, man, I wish I could just 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 get rid of this shit and never have to use it again. But because of the career fields I've chosen to get into. And like you said, because now they are all so dependent on you having a strong social media presence. It's like, well, if I do it, I might as well just, you know, pack in everything, you know, as, as a comedian, yeah. as a as a content creator. It's like if I'm not I remember I talked to I was talking to one guy uh, at a club in Chicago and I told him I had been I'd been doing stand up for, for 15 years. And he was like, he was like, well, how's your social media presence? And I was like, I mean, he's like, are you verified on Twitter or blah, blah. I was like. No, dude, because that's not where I do my work. I do my work on a stage. I don't, yeah. I don't do my. You know, I I know some comedians who were great on Twitter. Guy, local guy who's a one-liner comic, and he basically uses Twitter as his sounding board. He, you know, tweets a couple times a day. They're just ideas for jokes he has. If they work, he tries them out on stage. But Mr. Mike Wells, Mr. Mike that. fucking Wells, man, Mike, what the fuck, Wells? I'd be wearing his shirt right now, but it's in the wash. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, for for stuff for for once for every so often a person like that'll work. But yeah, as a comedian, my work isn't defined by how well I tweet, you know. But it, yeah, and, and and honestly, fuck your blue check mark. I'm yeah, no sorry. shit. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't. It does not make you any more of a person. It doesn't make you any better at what you do either. Yeah. All it is 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 it's a all, met, very, it's a metric. <laughs> yeah, and it's also on a platform that I'm sorry is extraordinarily biased towards certain things. Yeah. And it's, and I, I, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a company. Yeah. It's a business. I, the fact that it is ingrained. So the, if you think about the time between when we asked, do you have a cell phone and do you have a Facebook? Mm-hmm. That was like 10 years, huge, huge gap of time. We like no, not even. I mean, ten years isn't even that that much. I mean, and that and that was just ten years. Yeah. And from 2010 on, now forget about it. It's, I, but it, I, what I'm talking about, as far as long period of time, is like you know, I remember going through all of middle and high school. Oh, do you have a cell oh, phone? Right. Do you have a cell phone? Yeah. Do you have a cell phone? But then the period of of how quick it was. Where why don't you have a Facebook? It was it was it was far narrower. And and yes. and, and and now it's because I remember I remember being a freshman in college. And my one of my media professors talking about how how Apple was developing the first iPhone, and I remember thinking, and this was two thousand seven. I remember the first iPhone had a big metal back. Yeah, and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, please, that'll never take off." You know, and if they do, it's going to be so fucking long before something like that's even pot. That that won't that can't exist. We're so far behind that technology, and now it's. I mean, it's helping me run the show that we're recording right now, as it's docked on my computer right now, and it's it's so hard to even fathom the time and how. Again, it's only been thirteen years in the grand scheme of things. That's not a long time. It's it's uh, it's it's it was an insane explosion. Just the fact that you watch a presidential debate, if you debase yourself to watch that kind of content, Hmm. um, the fact that on our presidential debates, which essentially at this point is just a reality television show, is the Twitter and Facebook logos in the corner. Oh, yeah. That are, and I'm like, what the fuck did that get in here? Which means, which heavily means it's influencing policy mm-hmm. and 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 social norms and ways of life, and I, I don't I don't like it. And I'm, yeah. I'm 27. I'm supposed to love it. I'm supposed to be in that generation that's it's all about it. 
Well, I could give a fuck. I don't care about your stupid fucking filters, and I don't care about puppy dog ears on chicks. Oh, and, God. And I, I don't. I don't. I care about, yeah, I care about the work. I care about making people laugh and connecting with genuine people and doing my best. I don't even own a television. My entire living room, I have one, two, I have uh, four whiteboards and a cork board, uh, and it's... <laughs> That's what I use my my time. I've I've ordered three books on Amazon through this whole uh, quarantine. I'm you know trying to read through a lot of those, and yeah. it's you know it's about putting the work in. Netflix and YouTube and these things, which are they're so dangerous, man. Yeah. They're so dangerous. It's digital heroin. They will yeah. suck your time away and keep you glued to that couch to anything to make you not productive, not thinking for yourself, not creating original or having original thought and it's a very dangerous precedent that it, that it's setting as a social norm i wish i could write funny things and like stand up about that but there's really no funny way to talk about that <laughs> it's not funny and and only somebody <laughs> only somebody with the with the charisma and 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 unbeknown charm of lewis black can pull off something that angry and make oh it funny. i know right I, I think he should run for president i wish to god he would i, I that man <laughs> i i lewis black is easily my favorite comedian ever because it's just like he, nothing he does should work but somehow it does you remember seeing him the first time i ever got introduced to him was the movie accepted i love that movie i love that oh, movie so much it's my old girlfriend sarah pell fan <laughs> you broke my heart <laughs> The kids go to college to get a good job, to get a great starting salary. Oh, we love that idea. Fucking A. <laughs> fucking A. You sent them a bag of dog shit. It was a metaphor for what? For they're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> they're full of shit. I love that movie so much. So great. I, I, yeah, I've been a fan of his ever since Like I saw his, his back in black special with, with the Starbucks bit and, and the Alzheimer's patient. That was, you know, the end of the world was just fantastic. Um but yeah, it's, it's, I, you know, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm of two minds just about everything, you know, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I, I can't tell you how much time in my day I've lost to rewatching, you know, old seasons of, of cheers on Netflix or something. But I will say I've also seen to where some really great creative ideas from small unknown filmmakers have finally found places to exist, um, right. where they wouldn't normally be able to exist in, in current Hollywood. That's that that's the thing you can you know i can rant and rave about not liking yeah. all this shit and that but it, it's not that it's all bad it is yeah. it's just uh, you know when when you let it basically become your recreation sure sure yeah no absolutely you know, there, there there isn't and listen if you're and i'm speaking more to people that are trying to pursue creative mm. endeavors in their life if your life is perfectly content to go to work work your nine to five get married have a kid come home make dinner order a pizza, sit down, watch Netflix, go to bed and do it all over again the next day. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that's just being a person. That's being an American. It's being a human. Like do that. Like, but if you're trying to be a stand up, you're trying to be an actor, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I mean, you, you I can't set I, aside maybe those times, but you, you gotta work, yeah. man. You gotta work. I, I can't I can't watch comedy specials anymore. Um because I've been doing it for so long. Um, a, I find myself like trying to analyze and pick apart everything from a, from, yeah. you know, from a comedian standpoint, but also because I find it, it hurts, it hurts my creativity, uh, because what, I, what ends up happening is I'll be trying to write some new shit and I've got the new John Mulaney special in the back of my head and, yeah. and it's, 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 it's stopping me from coming up with my own ideas. Cause then I'm always worried that either a, it's going to sound too much like his, or uh, I can't think of it. Cause all I'm thinking of is what would John Mulaney fucking say about this shit? And, and. Yeah. That's the thing that I think where that those platforms are helpful is now we have a lot more information yeah. uh, given by people that we admire and aspire and, and aspire to be on the same level as mm -hmm. um, where we know what a comedian finding his voice is. Yeah. Where in the 90s, that was something I think you had to find out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And people weren't really talking about it. There weren't, you know, full interviews and podcasts going in depth on stand up from people that you respect and admire. And so you find out all these great things, you know, finding your voice, what that is, the easiest way to, to of, of letting go and, and a lot of that stuff, writing. Um, and, uh, and, but I mean, honestly, I still, I think for the last three, four years of my life, when I go to bed, I don't put on music or anything. I put on stand-up radio. 
Okay. I go to bed listening to stand up. And um, <laughs> to be honest with you, it's, it's, if anything, uh, giving me more confidence. Really? Because, yeah, because you listen to some of these albums of touring. Of, these are comics. They have albums. They're on Spotify. There's a crowd in the audience. They got paid to do that. Mm -hmm. They have a booking agent. And then you listen to their material and you're like, okay. You're like, <laughs> they're not, it's not freaking groundbreaking. That's not, they're not, they're working. They're making yeah. a living. And that's not cracking me up. You don't have to be a Chappelle. Aspire to be a Chappelle, but don't yeah. compare yourself. Comparing yourself to people you admire is maybe the worst thing you can do because yeah, you're going to get in your own way. And I'm not, well, yeah. who the fuck am I? I'm in a little two bedroom apartment in Shitville, Ohio. So I don't know what I'm preaching about, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's shit. I'm finding out for myself. I'm basically regurgitating my journal <laughs> entries right now. It's, it's true. It, it is true that how many times have, have any of us measured our own successes or failures by those of people? It's uh, hard uh, not to do. Exactly. It absolutely is. Um, it, you know, you see like, oh man, well this guy did it and it was able to do this in six months and I've been doing it for a year and up there. Who gives a shit? Who that's, gives a shit? That's the biggest, that's the biggest scam on, on writing movies. You know how fucking hard it is to write a movie, a full feature. It's, it's, like, a tr it's so it's fucking insanely hard. insanely hard. It's, it's so incredibly hard. when you hear hard. these stories, when you hear these stories of like, oh, you know, uh, Mike Myers wrote the first Austin Powers in a week. Well, fuck him. Like, right. Like, Good for him. You know, most good movies take at least like two to four years to write, like yeah. get a final draft from start concepts to final draft. It's like a four year process. It's a very long writing a fucking movie script that is a good chunk of movie. It can take it can take a while. Yeah. So I, know, I, I, I made one last year and that, and that script, you know, it was a five minute short film. The script was six years old. I wrote it. I wrote it, go. started it years ago, got stuck on it. Rant, couldn't figure out what to do with it, put it away, came back and revisited it later on when I had some new fresh ideas, new experiences, you know, and, and it just, yeah, sometimes that's just the way it is. You know, it, it, I was insanely proud of it, you know, but now, but now it's done. Now I can just move on to the next idea, but yeah, it's not you. Yeah. You do get those. Yeah. Mike Myers wrote whatever in a week. Cool. You know, once in a while that happens every once in a while, I'll have an idea. I'll crank it out in the day. Ah, cool. It's done other time. It, it, yeah. It, it, but I get it though. It it is hard not to see someone else's progress and not judge yourself based on it because it's because it's right there. Yeah, I mean, as a comic though, <clears throat> a lot of my jokes they are jokes. Yeah, they uh, it really only within the last year has my writing started to get more personal mm -hmm. and coming from more my point of view rather than just a joke. Um, which I respect jokes. Um, but there is something to be said about that really writing from like, I talk about my dad on stage now and everything. It's just like, that's not something I was doing years ago mm -hmm. at all. You know, I, I have jokes about why I think, you know, yoga is stupid and what's up with girls and Zodiac signs. And it's like, that's, you know, I love those jokes. They're mm -hmm. going in whenever I, whenever I, I'm trying to get a half hour to put on tape next year. Yeah. Um, and those jokes will be in there, some of them. But, you know, a, a lot of what I'm writing now is is more from personal experience and from my specific point of view. And also these days, just not being afraid to say, I say the word cunt in a joke. <laughs> Don't be afraid to say that. It's a word that people use. <laughs> like, it's a word that people use. <laughs> it's, you know, and it's not being, it's also in reference to a dude. And I think you get carte blanche to call a dude a cunt anytime you want. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I've yeah, known many you know, not, not being afraid. I think Dave Chappelle did a great thing. I think I listened to Joe Rogan and Kevin Hart, uh, their interview yesterday. And they started at the very end of the podcast to start talking about Chappelle and really what he did was stand up for comics in a time that where it was very dangerous to do that. Yeah. And, and I think that's important, you know, because I, I I do think nowadays in 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 the current state of things, comedians are having to. We had gotten to a place where we were where we were starting to have our place in the world again, and now we're kind of having to refigure it out when we were just starting to get it back. And who's to blame? Fucking Twitter. <laughs> You're not fucking wrong. And we're back. And, and we're, we're back in comedy. We call that a comeback. A callback, kids. Um, <laughs> I did. It, I was. I was part of a of an ill-fated comedy tour when I was in college. And, um, 
Oh, those are fun. Yeah, it was. We basically did the first show of the tour, and then the whole thing got scrapped. Um, but we were filming the doc. We were gonna we were gonna document the whole thing on film, and um, the guy who was headlining the tour because I I had I had taken time off from stand to go back to college, and uh, he had been going. So he he had a bit. He was a bit further along in his career than I was at this point. Um, so he was the headliner. So we were doing the documentary and we're, we're talking to our friends and, you know, doing these kind of, you know, cause they were talking to us and like how we met and how we got into comedy and all that. And he, he, he made a callback to something from a conversation earlier. He turns to me and goes, by the way, Mike and comedy, that's called a callback. And I was like, I taught you that shit, motherfucker. <laughs> you prick. Dude, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that was ironic and, and like, <laughs> him making and, and it him was. making a joke. It was. But I really do love when like other local comics try to give you advice. <sighs> <It's> <laughs> like, up. like you realize we're on the same show right now, right? Right. It's like we're both at the same open mic at a bar that no one came to, buddy. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're both not getting paid for this show. But, so but thanks for giving me your insider tips, <laughs> Wall Street. <laughs> uh Ben, uh, you know, we're we're just about out of time here. Uh, but you know, obviously we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the current state of the world with COVID nineteen and the quarantine and everything going on, man. How you been how you been doing through all this? Uh, I've been fine. Um, okay, cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, genuinely, I mean, I've been, I've been okay. Uh, I quit drinking Whoa. right before, right before all this really started. And wow. I'm, I come from the last about five years. Uh, uh, whatever. I hate when people talk about their sobriety, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sober. Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> but I'm in like that position where I am. And I, I use the word sober because it was, I, I was drinking. Uh, it was, I'd have to buy a new bottle of whiskey every 24 hours. Jesus. And yeah, that that went on that way for a good four years. Um, there was not a day that I could not, if you asked me when was the last time I didn't drink, I couldn't give you an answer. So it was, I wasn't going out to bars and everything. So it wasn't an outward problem that was affecting others for the most part, which is why I think I got away with it for so long. I could, I could sell it off in my mind as not being that big of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just whiskey every single night, at least two pints. It was gnarly. But uh, I finally decided to quit drinking uh, late, late January, early February. And then all this stuff started. <laughs> and I'm not sure if I'm glad or not that I chose that timing. I actually, I think I'm glad that I chose not to continue drinking through this. It probably would have made it worse because I've gotten mad. I'm upset. Like I can't get on stage. I'm pissed yeah. off and people aren't putting on shows. I don't know what, I said this the other day. I don't know what, and I'm not calling out any specific comics or whatever in the area, but it's like people that are putting on shows mm. and responsible for putting on shows. And these people that use this phrasing, like, well, like we'll get back to it, you know, like whenever we get back to it, like, oh, we'll be on stage at, at some point. It's like you do realize if you're waiting for the WHO or the CD or, or the CDC to put out some statement or tweet that says, Hey guys, it's all good. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Like you have, that's not going to happen. It just isn't. And so you can't say everything's going to get back to normal soon. But then when people try to start getting back to normal, you yell at them and, and say, they don't care about public health. You can't do that. Like it's, it's, we've waited this out. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty fucking i think uh clear that the numbers were horribly inflated um and that possibly some other shit is going on i'm not saying it doesn't exist that would be stupid (laughs) um i'm sure i know people do say that but that's that's i know a few (laughs) yeah i don't think it doesn't exist i think it was horribly inflated uh i think a part of it was severely political um and uh (laughs) I'm not going to get into all that, but I just want to get back to playing shows. We're fucking comics. Stop acting like a bunch of fucking Nancy's and start putting on shows again. Like 
you know, and just don't allow anyone in over 70. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want old people at our comedy shows anyway. They're the My problem. red skeleton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm up there doing no respect bits. Red skeleton was uh, born old. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, there are some people that that was the case. Uh, no, but I've been finding this. I've been reading quite a bit, and I've been getting a lot of work done. I'm back and forth on two different uh, movies right now that we're trying to that we're trying to to work on. I'm doing treatments for both and scripting for both, and um, that's taking up a lot of my time. I've come up with probably a good 15 minutes of new material. That's good. None of it COVID related. I don't think anyone should be writing coronavirus. Jokes. I don't think anybody is. I think, I think honestly there, I think everyone right now that I've talked to is trying really hard not to, because for a lot of people, it's all their reality has been, you know, and, yeah. and, and when alone, when so many, especially the local types write from reality, when your reality is depressing and repetitive, it's hard to it's hard to find a way to write around that. It yeah, I guess it's like there. You just let let your mind go to where if you're only focusing on what's in the headlines. Then I mean, I I, I suppose if I've never been a headline comic, I don't write generally about current events. Nah. So maybe it was easier for me. I respect the people that do though. Those are the guys that get writing jobs on you know late night shows and stuff. Yeah are the guys that can real quick come up with funny stuff about, uh, you know, current events. I respect that, but, um, just not really how I write. So it didn't really affect my writing too much anyway, but, uh, yeah, I've come up with some new material. I got, um, you know, the work I'm doing, I'm cooking a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, drinking a lot of, uh, lime seltzer water yeah, buddy. and, and hot tea. Right on, man. Uh, good. Well, you know, Good congrats, I guess. Uh, as as enthused about it as you seemed on the, on the on the quitting drinking. Um, I yeah, no, I'm stoked. This is a big thing. Yeah, so good for you, man. Um, keep keep on the writing though, man. I I uh, I'm all you know. I I've been slowly transitioning to focusing more on film than stand up. As much as I love doing stand up, and so I always say, you know, keep writing, and uh, you know. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, you and I can, can work together on something again, uh, go on stage together again. And, uh, um, Ben Howard, man, uh, and since you said fuck social media, normally this is where I ask everybody, Hey, where can they find you online? Um, well, I do have a podcast, so I should plug. So my... let, let's, let's pl- <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's plug the podcast real quick. Cause, cause uh, I do, I do want to talk about that. Uh, so what's, what's the podcast, man? Yeah. The podcast is, uh, what a week I'm having. Uh, it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, you can uh, find me. Yeah, that's the podcast has an Instagram and a Twitter, but I don't really plug those because you can follow me. I'm. It's not a podcast with a co-host or anything. It's it's like yours. You're you're you know you're the only doing your podcast. It's and I don't really even have guests. So <laughs> it's just me ranting for about forty five minutes uh, every Monday. Every Monday, new episodes. Every Monday, what a week! What a week I'm having uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then you can find me Instagram and Twitter at Ben Howard Comedy. All right, well, guys, make sure you go check out the What a Week I'm Having podcast hosted by Ben Howard. Uh, check him out on Facebook and Twitter, Ben. Man, uh, so glad we got to do this, man. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to come on the show. Absolutely, man. I'd love to do it again. Absolutely. Yeah, fuck yeah. Well, as soon as yes, soon as we're allowed to have you have go out in public again and 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 whatever. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you in here in the studio. Hopefully by then we'll have moved into an actual studio. But we'll see. No more. Awesome. No more. Mom's basement. Twenty twenty one. All right. But that being said, guys, we're gonna that's that's gonna do it for this week's episode of the Basement Lounge. Make sure you follow us on all the social medias: uh, Facebook and Instagram at Basement Lounge Pod, Twitter at TBL underscore Pod. And of course, you can support us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash basement lounge pod. Three dollars a month. Get the VIP tier there. We'll see you guys next week uh, with a brand new episode, brand new guest. Until then, I'm Mike Shea, and as always, live well, rock on, take care, and bye-bye. Thank you.